We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. Coming at you Monday morning, um, which is after the Wolves played the Phoenix Suns twice at the end of last week and before they play the Thunder and Mavericks. Um, Leading up to the deadline, I feel like that's important to time capsule because whatever sort of cheery vibes we might come to today off of those two Phoenix games, I feel like they will be somewhat dampered. If the Wolves lose to the, uh, the Thunder tonight in in Minnesota, but Britt Robson of the Athletic is my guest. He just wrote a big Anthony Edwards column that I'm excited to discuss with him. Britt, the the two Phoenix games. I mean, we we talked like right before that, and I think it's fair to say that not just Edwards's performance, but just kind of the Timberwolves' general performance uh, against the Phoenix Suns, one of the best teams in the NBA right now, really really caught us by surprise. Yeah. Well, I mean, not only that, I think um, the two Portland games yeah. and the New Orleans game, I mean, you know, the Lakers game, uh, a little bit disappointing, but um, I think three and three since the break, and they were fairly competitive in all six. They were very competitive in at least four of the six. They won three of them. Right. Um, and I think that there is a difference. Uh, there is not a beaten down quality to the team right now. Uh, part of it is just being refreshed from the break. Part of it is buying into whatever Chris Finch is selling right now, which seems to be a more relaxed go out there and play, roll the ball onto the court and see what you can do with it at both ends of the court, uh, which surprisingly on defense seems to be, um, I mean, they're not playing well on defense in terms of the numbers, but uh, uh, they are active. And I think that activity um, makes them feel like to themselves, 
that they are exerting an effort on defense. I think to the extent that Finch has been successful on defense, it has been convincing the team that they are trying on defense. I think under the old solid is enough form, if you didn't have your assignment right, uh, you kind of were stymied in your place trying to figure out what to do. And now at least you can be remedying the situation or at least pretending to remedy the situation. You can make a mistake. Especially for the young guys, I think that's really important. Right. Um, and then, I mean, obviously Edwards is the the shimmery star in this. All, all, oh, without a doubt. I mean, all six games, but particularly on on Thursday night there. I mean, I think all the wins. Yeah, all the wins. <laughs> right. You, I think you put in yours in your column here: thirty-four points per game in the three wins. And, yeah. and 27 points per game overall over these six games after the All-Star break. So, it, um, I mean, it, it's, it's impossible. It would be irresponsible to not start to, I don't know if the word is reconsider, but just kind of consider the, the blueprint of this team, right? And, and how you kind of, if you're Gerson Rosas or, or Ryan Saunders slash Chris Finch, how you sure. were, you know, going to try and build this thing out this year because you're at this place where you have this player, this 19-year-old rookie, finding somewhat frequent success but doing so almost exclusively in an extremely high-usage role, which right. which is, isn't a bad thing. Like I, I, feel like, I feel like it's almost gone too far that way. Like, oh, it, it's – it's it's too much. It's too much, Edwards. I mean, with with D'Lo and Malik, and oh, it's cutting in the cat and all these sort of things. It's not. That is just his style, right? He is a high usage player. the The questions are just about making it kind of fit, and and it's not a sure thing that it will fit. But um, I think it's actually a, a, a pretty. It's not a sure thing that it won't fit but it's closer to being a sure fit that it won't fit <laughs> i mean you know I, I think that uh it's very hard for me to see cat and delo and beasley on the floor is a usage war mm. and it will be ruinous uh it, they will not maximize each other i mean i think that's fairly safe to say um as it is now um when you got guys like Okogi and Rubio on the floor, um, you're kind of saying, you know, <laughs> get the ball to the other guys or something, you know. And I think if Beasley and D'Lo are, are in that mix, I think it's just too many touches. And by the way, not nearly enough defense. So um, something is going to have to be done. What? A, and I, I do want to focus on on Ant, but yeah. I, as far as the reinsertion of those two players go. Personally, I, I am far more concerned about how Malik Beasley enters the usage war than I am about D'Angelo Russell. I, I think if it was just D'Angelo Russell coming back, I don't think I would have that much concern about a usage war between Cat, him, and Edwards. I think, I think he is, and I'm, I'm kind of getting sick of this term, but a willing passer. I think... I think I can I can make better sense of, of those three. Now there's a little bit of 
the, I guess the D'Lo stuff is more confusing to me in the Rubio sense of like. By all means, Rubio has been. I think good. that that that's the. It gets back to the original problem that we've had since the beginning of the season, which is that this could be only one team floor general, and um, when that guy isn't the floor general, when he's not the starting point guard without the encumbrance of the other one on the floor with him, I think there are issues. I think, yes, Rubio is in better shape, and yes, Rubio has got his rhythm back, but I also think, I mean, imagine, think about the way Rubio has been playing for the last 10 games, 15 games, and imagine him doing that with the second unit. It would not be nearly as effective. Well, it wouldn't happen. It, it wouldn't happen, but I still don't think that that, precludes the idea that Rubio and D'Lo can work. Whew. All right. I mean, I, I think that... I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm just... I am I am certainly open to seeing it. Whereas, I mean, let's put our fake GM yeah. hats on it. Not like, right. we'll trade Rubio now while his value's high. And, you know, he, he got us this far, but D'Lo's come back. Like, no. I, I think we got to remember who and what Rubio was back then. And, yes. and and I am willing to bet that it was more about who Rubio was, why the D'Lo and Rubio pairing wasn't working, than it was about D'Lo. Now, I might be wrong about that. I haven't been able to see the counter positive, whatever, of, of that. If You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. I just don't think, like, I don't think it's something you need to be reactionary about. If it doesn't work, you got 30 more games, right? Like, then, then make your adjustment, like, in the offseason. But what it is... You're in a low risk scenario here. Like, okay, it doesn't right. work. Sure. Like then 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 make your you know, make your move. But there is a chance and with and Brooklyn, I mean, this isn't he played next to Spencer Dinwoody, who plays a lot like Anthony Edwards. He played against or not against with. He played with Karis Levert. He wasn't always on the ball. D'Angelo Russell has had success off the ball. That is just a fact. Okay, but let me let me push back a little. Go ahead. Anthony Edwards is most comfortable as a 30-plus usage guy. Mm -hmm. Spencer Dinwiddie was never a 30-plus usage guy. What do you think he I would mean, have been? Like 26, though? Maybe. At, at, and that's if he's rolling. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the thing is, is that Edwards is going to be 30%, even if he's going 6 for 19. Yeah. You know, I that's mean... True. I, I, I think that the hard part here is that um, you have to figure out what is your blueprint moving forward. The blueprint at the beginning of the season was Cat and D'Lo, that combo, will lead this team. And then the surrounding pieces will come in and fill that dynamic in other ways. Mm -hmm. Beasley, the most obvious choice because he's a lights-out perimeter shooter, he can fit in with that group. All three of them, back then, Cat, I think, has changed the narrative a little bit on this, but all three of them were lousy defenders. Okay, well, now you add an extremely charismatic, exciting, high-usage shooter. And the lousiest of them play, all. Who, who can't play defense either. Yeah. And so... Um, and by the way, he's your top overall pick in the draft. And by the way, he's got the fan base more excited than they've been since they got D'Lo back <laughs> in February. 
And so you have a situation where, um, and Anthony Edwards is a, a guy who rides on positive momentum, most of it created by him, but he is a, he's a surfer. Mm -hmm. He is a guy that um, if he can get positive vibes going, he gets better and better. And pace wise, it works too. Um, I think everybody knows I haven't been a great D'Lo fan from the beginning, but I've, I've really tried hard to be open-minded about his value to this team. And I think he does have value to this team, but it is just like Edwards has value, like Beasley has value. All of them have value, but none of them can face. In my piece, I called it a game of musical chairs. Mm -hmm. um, somebody is not going to have a chair in the starting lineup. Um, well, maybe not I long term. I mean, at the beginning, you think they're going to start those four, right? Ooh, I, I just think. They're going to start those four. That means Rubio comes off the bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Well, okay. okay. So that's why you're giving him a chair too. Okay. I get it. Greatest leader of my lifetime. <laughs> my buddy. I, I know things I don't know. Rubio. Ricky will teach me. I mean, yeah. this is, this is your guy. This is your guy who um, more than Cat and D'Lo is your future now. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, <laughs> It's it's tricky. It it, it is Only tricky. Only the Timberwolves, right? No, but but here's the thing, I, and I I because I was giving D'Lo credit. Like I don't think D'Lo we get you know his first five games back or whatever, and he has three of those games where he shoots single digit shots. Say that happens, right? As they're figuring it out, I don't think that that is going to piss off D'Angelo Russell. That's my read on on him. Ooh, I okay. think, but but same thing with Malik Beasley. I think that would if he has three of his first five are, you know, nine shots, 10 shots, eight shots, you know, mixed in there. I just think they those guys have different things. Now, now for D'Angelo to stay, stay cool with it, like he still better have his usage up a little bit. He's going to have to have, you know, eight, nine assists maybe in those games. But I think I think D'Angelo Russell can do more things offensively. Well, that, that's not even really debatable. He, he can. Yeah. But Malik and can also shoot. And what I will say, I think Finch's system of being willing to jump lanes and be active, I mean, it sounds crazy because D'Lo is not regarded as an active defender, but he likes the jump lanes. He does not like to be disciplined on defense, just like Ant doesn't like to be disciplined on defense. I think D'Lo might work in Finch's system if he gets on his horse. Well, you know, you know what? The thing I've ripped on Malik for defensively this year is that it's too much activity, right? But at the same, he it looked like that what how Beasley would define successful defense was with a deflection, with a stop, with a steal. You know, the the, the ending right. of a possession. That's that's how he seemed to determine success. If you're just judging his body language, clapping, all those right. sort of things. When I think any coach in the NBA would tell you, successful defense is about limitation. Of, of your opponent. It's an unrealistic goal to set out a successful possession being stopping them, getting a steal, those sort of things. Right, right, and right. so to some extent, solid is enough. Solid is enough, that's but, that, but what that's what you're talking about. But Malik, Malik might fit this scheme a little bit more of chaos defensively, 
I think he might actually play better defense in a more zone area concept because a zone area concept is about deflections and those sort of things. And and Delo, I think the best thing about Delo's defense, quite frankly, except in the post, I do think he he plays decent post defense, but I also think he's very good at deflections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got really long arms and he's got good anticipation. And Edwards obviously works better in that kind of system too. So all of them work that way. But again, it comes back to what what you were promised. Yeah. When deal when Delo came here, um, third time traded in four years in, as a pro, second overall pick, been an all star in Brooklyn. Um, all of it was just he wanted a home. He wanted some place. And here he is with a guy who is willing to proclaim him his long lost blood brother, who happens to be the tent pole star of the team. He's got a general manager who pursued him to the ends of the earth, did not mind getting the middle finger stuck in his face after a helicopter ride, came, stayed <laughs> after him anyway. Stayed after him anyway. Uh, traded Andrew Wiggins and a top three protected pick for him. Right. I mean, put his reputation on the line. Delo has every reason to think, hey, this is my spot. And I'm at the beginning, you know, not quite at the beginning, but very close to the beginning of a very long-term contract that's a fat contract. Yeah. And so that's his promise. Beasley's promise is four years at 16, despite the fact he had the guns and drugs thing in the summertime, uh, hustling his rear end off. Everybody likes him. He turned down a fairly lucrative contract given his performance in Denver at that time because he wanted to start and become a guy. He didn't want to be another guy off the bench, which is what Denver was offering him, which, by the way, for a guaranteed winning team at that time. Um they both came for a chance to lead a downtrodden franchise to more lucrative pastures while improving their role on a team. Either one of those guys facing being out of the starting lineup or having their usage curtailed by a guy whose true shooting percentage is less than 50 for the season. Um, and by the way, will hog a lot of shots, um, is not great chemistry. It, uh, it will. And by the way, you got two other people in the middle of this. Um, the way Delo is treated will affect the way Cat feels about things, I believe. The way Edwards is treated will affect the way Rubio thinks about things, I believe, and vice versa. So you have all this personality stuff mixed into it. I mean, let's face it. The way players are generous with each other is by winning. The Timberwolves record right now is 10 and 32. (laughs) People are not going to be generous at the end of the day. They're going to try to be generous. But at the end of the day, they're going to think, what? With 10 and 32, I'm making 30 grand, 30 million a year, and I'm suddenly supposed to reduce my role? I'm finally getting a chance to right. play with my supposed best friend? I mean, everybody has a reason. So you disagree with me that, that you think D'Lo is, is similarly going to 
demand a bigger share of the pie and if he doesn't get it be frustrated about it i don't know if you've heard the same chatter i've heard and i'm not saying this is a, a guaranteed thing but i've heard from pretty credible sources that um ryan wanted to reduce delo's role and one of the reasons ryan is gone is because it became an either or situation so I would say no. I think Delo probably <laughs> has a good idea of what his role wants to be on this team, and I think he's made himself pretty clear in the past. So, no, I, you know, yeah, I I think though, yes, I've heard that. Um, there's also an element of that time and that situation when Ryan wanted that on that group on that team. It's just that is a completely different team than this one is right now, right? Or the one that he's going to be well, coming back to. why is it a completely different <laughs> Fair. Yeah. I mean, okay, so, so, so yeah. I mean, maybe. I think, though, the point you bring up is, is wise in that, as Rubio said before the season, I don't mind coming off the bench as long as we're winning. So I would guess that that gets another shot and that his, that would, again, be his feeling or – you know, the other reality is the trade deadlines on Thursday. I mean, if you were right. Gerson Rosas and, and you're, you know, you're lining, if you had the exact same thoughts that you currently have, that you, Britt, are, are describing, yes. I mean, do you make a move? Do you feel, do you feel more almost forced to make a move? I would disrupt the situation. And what that means is, I think you have three very talented wings, guards, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. um, some have more or less value on the trade market. You have your own idea as a general manager, Pobo, whatever, of what you think the value is. I think you are in a position to make moves, and you should throw Rubio into that, make it a quartet. Yeah. I mean, all, all of those guys what is the best way to improve the team? Um, I don't know what that is. I'm not advocating you trade D'Lo. I'm not advocating you trade Rubio. I'm not advocating you trade Ant or Beasley. What I am saying is you have some pieces. All of them have value in certain ways, but all of them also has pretty hefty price tags next to them. Right. So you've got to figure out without pissing off their agents what might be available for them and take the best value of what you think is available for the team in consultation with your bright new coach and pivot on this. Or we can go your way, which is not ridiculous and it's not necessarily guaranteed to fail, but I do think it will create a usage war. I do believe that um, not only amongst them, but if Ant is two for nine, he's had kind of a tendency when he's not been shooting well to begin to distribute the ball a little bit. And that sometimes isn't the best thing for Ant. Sometimes Ant needs to shoot his way out of that stuff because he is so extraordinarily talented. So um, let, let me respond to well, that real quick. Okay, sure. Because you're saying you're not advocating you wouldn't advocate for any of those moves and that any of them are, are, are obvious. 
like an obvious it wouldn't be obvious to trade any of them for for the reasons I think they're have. all obvious. <laughs> I think that the, that the problem is you need to get rid of the usage war. Um, that, by the way, would include Cat, which the way he's been playing lately, I think, is you mm-hmm. know much diminished. And that's the other thing. I mean, we have to talk about, and and we'll get to why I was wrong about Ant later in the thing because I know that's a, the reason a lot of people are probably tuning in right now. <laughs> no, okay. But, um, let, let me let me but, say but, this. But, with B, okay. I, I think. I think you can trade Beasley. I think that that's the one on the surface that just makes the most sense. I mean, see, and to me, that's the one guy who is money in this thing. That's the one guy you know Malik Beasley is going to shoot between 38 and 42% from deep. And the other people you're projecting uh synergistic behavior. I think you drop Malik Beasley onto almost any team He's gonna boom, boom, boom. He's gonna he's gonna bang home those three pointers. But he is also the most likely right. to contribute the to the fungible. war. He's he's the most fungible guy too. I mean, sixteen. It's a good price tag. You might be able to get sixteen of really good value. You're giving sixteen of really good value. You should be able to get sixteen of really good value back. Just different kind of value. Exactly. But so that's why that makes the most sense to me. It's like. You look, you lay out this roster. You can make it work because, because then if, if Beasley isn't on the team, I mean, you could even now mess around more with Rubio and D'Lo at the one and two together. You know, you could, you know, it, it, it just removes one piece here that, that is, there's too many of those pieces in, in a weird way. And, right. and I think that if you can get that value, good value for Beasley that, that you have to, whether that be as, you know, 70% of what it takes to get John Collins or whoever. Pick your, you know, pick your guy. But what I have come to gather is that Malik Beasley's stock is not as high as mm. I think. Well, certainly as much as you and I have talked about or as much as I, as much as I thought. Um, there is, there is serious questions about not just there, there's serious questions about Malik as a basketball player, which I think is what you're, which, which is your kind of disagreeing with not to mention that like right. well, people, people very much I, see the Malik Beasley situation as a Josh Gordon football situation where a potential ticking time bomb in terms of violating his probation and blowing it up. That is a, you have to consider that if you're the Atlanta Hawks, if you're the, New Orleans Pelicans, if you're the New York, New York Knicks and you're trading for Malik Beasley, and that more than I was even expecting from what I've been able to gather is is diminishing Malik Beasley's value. And I know this whole like report came out yesterday that the Wolves or that the Hawks offered um Collins for Beasley in a first round pick. I'm not sure how true that all is. And I think uh-huh. it's more of a trying to boost up Malik's trade value in a way because it is lower than what they would like to trade him for, if that makes sense. Okay. And, and that is all entirely possible. It is also true that the reports that Beasley is less desirable because of the uh, parole situation is an attempt to tamp down his value. I mean, at the end of the day, you've got a guy who can hit, outside shots at a high volume for 16 million 
over the next three years after this one with the third year, your choice. It's a great contract. I should say that it's not all that. It's also the basketball stuff. There are questions about Malik. One is a defender. Whether he's a good, whether he is a, a high scorer on a bad team. Exactly. Whether, how he can play, whether or not, same issues we're dealing with here. Other teams Will would be, be take Atlanta. I mean, we go, oh, the pot's too full in Minnesota for Malik Beasley. Put him on the Hawks. What does that look like? You're playing next to you know, Trey Young, Bogdanovich, right. Gallinari, Capello, who's right. getting usage. I mean, all these right. guys. No, I, I agree. mean, I agree. He is the thing with Malik Beasley is he is a high a high volume player and a effective one at that in in three point shooting, but it's going to be hard for you to find a team for him where he is more than the fourth option. That's a good, you know, a team that's a good team trading for him and and then and if that is if that's the case you kind of start bumping up into the same thing that the Wolves are bumping up against. See, and, and I th- I don't think that's the best way to pitch Beasley. I think if you want to pitch Beasley on something, you say, hey, you could be the Duncan Robinson or the Tyler Hero of this team. You could be <laughs> the guy. Malik is not going to be like, yeah. I want to be Duncan Robinson. <laughs> I, think he, I, I no. think he is if they're going someplace. He thinks he's Clay Thompson. Uh-huh. Well, He's wrong about that on one half of the ball. I can tell you that. But um, I do think, I think if Beasley goes to a winner, he'll take a reduced role because he got paid. I disagree. Okay. Well, and that's fine. Um, that's what this is all about. <laughs> I, I, I think that, um, I think that losing Beasley he is the only guy on the roster, with the possible exception of Jalen Noel, who has that skill are, in the bank. Are we extra concerned about it because the other options on the roster are so bad? Does, is Malik's? Are we boosting Malik's value because what he gives to this team is extra valuable than what it might be on the market? I mean, remember we were talking about this. We were talking about this last week when. When, when I brought up uh, like catch-and-shoot three-point shooting percentages. And I was talking about how you know Collins is a 39% catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. Yes. And I was like, that sounds really good, but that's not that much above league average. And what you said was, right. well, that would make a huge difference on this team. Those are right. both true, right? Yes. But I think part of it, if I were building the team, I would start to think about, you know, or it, maybe this is an illusion, but the idea that eventually – you are able to, whether it's a year down the road or two years, you know, or t- time down the road, be able to have more average shooters on this team. You know, replacing a Culver with somebody who's more average, replacing a, a Vanderbilt, oh, a Layman, right. a, a Kogi, right? Like, and and then if that is true, if the if the differential becomes, if the drop off from Malik Beasley is an average three point shooter, he is less valuable than if the drop off is Malik Beasley to Josh Okogie or Jared Culver or even Jake Lehman, right? Like uh-huh. there is just, it's all relative. Yes, it is. And it's always very, very dynamic. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, we've had Malik Beasley has been a Minnesota Timberwolf for, he's played like 38 games or something, 35 games this season. He played 24, 14, 14 whatever it was last, last year. Yeah. Uh, so he's played less than a full season with this team. And he's had, as they all have, 
a, a revolving door of castmates. For sure. Um, which people always think of in terms of, well, once he gets the right personnel around him, he'll be even better. But the thing is, once the team's right personnel is there, he might be worse. See, that's the thing we don't know with yeah. the dynamics of the uh, situation. It's a guessing game. Is that, is, it not only is a guessing game, but it is a, um, it's a fortune-telling game. It's, it's, a, it's an idea of, all right, is, is D'Angelo Russell going to give you the D'Lo minutes of Brooklyn – in his better season right. in Brooklyn, even then you have to split those two up. <laughs> yeah. Or is he going to give you the Golden State or Laker experience? Or is he going to give you what he gave you at the beginning of this season? Um, and your answer to that, right, it, it starts the whole chain. That's why I think that's why we're ultimately, you and I are coming at this from different places because at that yes. first link of the chain, we are guessing <laughs> different things or, or, foretelling different things out of D'Lo, which I think changes your whole your whole picture of what you should do with the rest of your roster. But part of that, to me, is that I'm, I'm fortune-telling what I think <laughs> Rosas may be fortune-telling. I'm trying to read Rosas's mind. And what I will say is, I think that Rosas is a gambler. I mean, that's something that's been an article yeah. of faith between us ever since he came here. What is the jackpot here? The jackpot here mm. is Anthony Edwards. Mm. That's the jackpot play. Are we sure the jackpot isn't just all of them? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, but that that's... Uh, that's The naive that's jackpot? Trying to, that's trying to fill uh, two cars on an inside street. I mean, not even just one. You're trying to get, you know, you have a two through seven and you're trying to get the the four and the six jackpots you know? often have long odds, man. Exactly. Exactly. But what I'm saying is the difference, the difference with Edwards is if Edwards hits, right. you know, versus all of them hitting the logic would argue that the skill sets and flaws are too redundant for a group jackpot. I mean, I just, I just don't see it. I don't see it. I mean, that's why there's a problem. Otherwise we'd be going, all right, we're going to get these guys back. Yeah. And wait I see wish that's what we now. were saying. I wish we were just like, perfect. I just, well, at least it doesn't line up, but, but it's something that I've kind of started okay. to toy around with though. Like maybe that's just what their vision is though. You had the presence of mind to ask Anthony Edwards, and this is in my column. Yeah. Um, have you thought about what's going to happen when the supposedly two of the best players on the team come back? <laughs> and you know, Ant Ant is Mr. Positive. Ant is always looking for a way to say something. And if he w needs to be negative about something, it will be about some perceived critic out there who's saying something about it right. or about some perceived hater this time the enemy was the teammates yeah i mean in terms of his scenario and you could just the wheels were turning i mean it was such a great it was a very good question by the way and it was also the way you phrased it was have you thought about what can happen and Ant is always, you know, usually somebody who can just steam ahead. And you also said, now that you have a 
a vibe and a rhythm going, you know, what can happen when they come back? And Ant just went, shit. He, he began, <laughs> then he just, he said shit and he shrugged his shoulders and laughed. I mean, it was like, he said, they're coming back. There's nothing I could do about it. There's nothing you could do about it. I mean, it was a, it was an admission that this is fraught territory. And Anthony Edwards is one of the most positive human beings I've ever met. Right. I mean, he, he th- my whole column is based on the idea that he thrives on joy. This is a buzzkill for Anthony Edwards. The return of Malik and D'Lo is a buzzkill for what is happening right now. And I think a, a hefty portion of the Wolves fan base thinks that too. I think so. I, I've asked Ant that. I've uh-huh. asked Carl that. And then Chris uh-huh. just asked Carl that after the last game. And Carl's response to that one was like, I don't even want to talk about it. Don't want to <laughs> jinx it. Knock on wood. Every single time somebody comes back, some other shit happens, blah, blah, blah. That's what he said. But hit the first time I asked Carl about that, which was probably like a week before. I think it was the same night I asked Ant about it. He didn't talk about it. And Ant no. didn't talk really talk about it either, which is like conspiracy theorist in my head starts going like are you being told to not talk about that and or what is the point of talking about it i think is let's let's look at the most logical thing that's fair <laughs> why would you get into that yeah why in the world would you go oh yeah but i mean but don't you think with cat don't you think with cat that he would just that's so when cat strikes on to be like we're coming like welcoming Delo back oh yeah hi ricky <laughs> I mean, you know, that's hard. It's all hard. of a sudden, yeah. all of a sudden, Ricky Rubio's playing the best basketball of the season, and it's not a coincidence. And by the way, he and Edwards have a fan club. They are using each other's. They're wow. punching each other's ticket to greater usage, and um, it's look. This is nobody's fault. Um, what happens is is that um, the way things happen, the Beasley say, I mean, I went through the chronology in my column, but essentially what happened was is that uh, you lost D'Lo and Rubio came in. That gave Cat, uh, I mean, that gave uh, Ant more room to work um, and Rubio was an enabler and he and Rubio were tight anyway. And then you had Ryan fired and Finch came in and, and loosened things up at both ends of the court. Another thing that just paves the runway for Ant. And to some extent, when Cat came back for Cat, because now Cat's guarding the perimeter. And if things get screwed up and people are dunking like crazy behind him, hey, you know, I mean, that's right. the way it goes, you know? And so everybody is kind of vibing off this a little bit and it's doing fine and everything. And then Beasley gets suspended. And all kinds of usage opportunities are now open. Both Delo and Beasley gone. Ant can, Ant's usage right now is like 34 since the break. You know, I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous number. And so uh, for a 19-year-old rookie. Totally. So, of course, he wants this ride. He wants to surf this ride, wow. you know. Um, and the crazy thing is he has just done something 
that no one else on the roster, with the possible exception of Cat, can do, which is just almost single-handedly beat quality opponents with his offense. You know, We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's, uh, I really liked how you focused on kind of Ant's personality and in, in all this in, in your column. And I, it's key. It's key, it, I think. It, it really is. And uh, I kind of want to go into that, and I have some historic. Well, let me say my piece first. Well, let me, let me get an ad break in first, and okay, then you can okay, say sure. your piece. All right. We'll be back after a break. So, Brett, you have your column up at uh, The Athletic, as this yes. is published, I'm sure. It's not up at the moment, but it will be up right. there. And and at least in the copy of it that you shared with me, it was uh-huh. The Power of Joy um, and Anthony Edwards, which right. which I, I just read that at the top right away, and I'm like, oh, okay, like, Brett's going a different angle with this. Because I think on the surface, right, it's this – you know, it's this idea that he's he's put up some sh- real shiny numbers in about half the games. You know, he's played in recently, right. and and then there's obviously the you know there's the the undercutting of analytically in the aggregate, um, certainly for the whole season that it's just not necessarily stuff and that even, contributes. Even in the six yeah. games, even in the six games, the Wolves' offensive rating. Is seven points. I almost wanted to check overall. That. I almost wanted to check your your math on that because you with Anthony Edwards on the floor post All Star break, which is six games. You said the offensive rating is one ten point five, and their overall offensive rating is one seventeen point four. Well, shit. I mean, how many minutes has he not played? Seriously, like <laughs> in in those six games, sixty. Right, so right, what's the offense? Right. I mean, I wanted to do it as off his. The offense probably like one thirty. It, it has huh? to be. I guess they just scored yeah. every possession that Edwards, you know, wasn't on the floor. That that must be the case. So so yeah. To to your point, I mean it, it it that that is a story. But but that is you laid that stuff out, but you didn't focus on that. You focused on Anthony Edwards and his persona, and and the the joy that is really, if you think about it, the only truly salvageable pure thing of this entire shit show of a Timberwolves season right and right 
it's a it's good been story there from the beginning. It's been there from the beginning. I mean, you know, I remember when he came and um, he said the right things at his opening press conference, but then he said something like, well, this isn't my team right now, so yeah. I'm not going to, you know, I mean, all right, you know, and and the, just the maturity of the way he was working things. But before we do that, I do need to get this clear. Because um, last time I was on this podcast, you asked me um, mm -hmm. who is going to be a better prospect. I think it was in the next five years, you said. And I said I would take McDaniels over in. Um, I think I've been more wrong about some things. I, was, I, I, I thought Kevin Durant was not going to be a great pro after his first season. I advocated against, not that it ever would have happened, but that rumors were in the mill at that time. I advocated against trading Wiggins and something for Kyrie Irving back when Cleveland was thinking about, you know, losing him. Um, so I've been more wrong than that, but I've never been wrong so fast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the second those words went out of my mouth, it was the Portland Edwards game. Went, Edwards went crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And McDaniels went into the toilet. I mean, it was just, it would be one thing if Ant was just going nuts. Right. Meanwhile, Jaden is, is doing his thing, blocking shots, doing it. And all of a sudden, he hits a rookie wall or something or just has a desultory few games or whatever. But those two things combined is what made me go, all right. You know, I mean... <laughs> The forces at work are trying to tell me, you know, and I've said stupid shit in the past. I'll say stupid shit in the future. It's the nature of having an opinion and trusting your instincts. Sometimes you're wrong. Well, the, and I'm comfortable with that. But what was fascinating to me was how quickly I was shown to be wrong. <laughs> I mean, I'm usually, usually I can rationalize it for a while. <laughs> I could say, well, you know, there's that. But what he did on that you know, uh, second Portland game and what he did in the first Phoenix game mm -hmm. and what he had done in the New Orleans game, which was pretty good too. Um, that is is more than a couple of plays glimpse. That is uh, something, I mean, it isn't just the numbers in the columns. It is going at mellow and pointing, you know, three to the dome. <laughs> And saying, that's my boy, you know, right. that's my guy. It's getting the jersey from Dame and Jace wants to know what's inscribed on it. He goes, nah, that was written for me. You know, you're not, you're not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get that frame tomorrow. I mean, you know, or, or people saying about Steph Curry, Jace says, 43%, you're better than Steph Curry. And he goes, I'm never going to be better than <laughs> Steph Curry. I mean, and this is a guy who plays with an overwhelming amount of confidence. He's joyous in, in the people he loves, and he's joyous in his own abilities, and it is contagious. I mean, if it's contagious among media, and I don't know a media guy that doesn't treasure interviews with him, imagine what it's like to be around him when you're losing three out of every four games, right. you know? Um, I think... Because of his inefficiency and because he is so young um, and because of just some flaws that are still in his game, we still don't know if he'll ever play even decent defense. All of those things make him a long shot to be 
able to seize even 80, 90% of his enormous potential. But the joy and the charisma and what it can do to a fan base, what it can do to a team, those are things that that make you want to be bold in his corner, who make you want to say, let's see where this is going with this guy. And D'Lo doesn't have that. Beasley doesn't have that. Cat used to have it, but a lot of bad shit has happened. Uh, most of it not of his own doing. Um, it's It was just, I mean, when when um, when Cat and and Ant went back to back after that Portland game. I thought the contrast was just phenomenal. I mean, Cat was trying to analyze and explain, yeah. you know, all the little. I should have done this, or this would have happened, so on and so forth. And um, it's just, it's just a different approach. It's a validation. Ant doesn't need validation from the likes of us. He you know? he's so different as a person than. Um, than cat, but also right. I, I think about this. But they like each other. Sure, yeah, no, no I don't even mean I don't mean it like that. Like I, but I that's like, what I mean. Yeah. I mean, well, Butler and Cat couldn't have been more different, but True. they did not like each other. True, I, I think though, and, and when I think about you know whatever you you missing on that call, there's an element to 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 you missing on that, or the fan base missing on that, or you know just kind of pointing back to the numbers on Edwards where. There is some classical conditioning within this fan base or media base from players like Anthony Edwards in terms of their efficiency scarring them, right? I mean, it's not just Andrew Wiggins. I mean, Andrew Wiggins is obviously like the like the main example, but there have been Well, the shiny the shiny bobble of if Wiggins rookie year was what I cited yes. when I said let's not let's let's be careful because it was so easy to get excited about Wiggins. People were saying that I was saying Wiggins is the example because of all the red flags about Wiggins. It was the opposite. It was the enormous amount of enthusiasm he generated, mm-hmm. which turned out to be fool's gold. Right. But it, it, you know, and then there's, you know, Zach Levine had some of that. I mean, even go back to exactly. like Michael Beasley, you know, so, like dudes like Ricky Davis, you know, back Derek in the, Williams, Derek Williams. Right. You know, it, number two overall pick. It, it's not like there haven't been physical marvels that have teased. Right. Right. Over the past right. decade here, decade plus. Right. Um, right. But I think it is important to distinguish that there is something different about Anthony Edwards that at least for me allows me to be more dismissive of the numbers than I was with Andrew Wiggins, because I, I, I mean, I remember at the time of Wiggins's rookie year, while people were, and you know, I think I was more stat wonky back then, you know, than I uh-huh. am now. But, um, you know, that I was always the freaking Nate Duncan pointing out that, you know, okay, cool, like Wiggins dunked over Gobert, but he was six and nineteen from the field that game, and that's his normal performance. You know, there. There's something different to me in Edwards, and it's it is persona, it is joy, that that has me more willing to dismiss some of those things. And and for example, just the Phoenix games to like not get caught up in the second game right. in a way that dismisses the first game. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. And, right. and I think I think that's different, and it, and it is about his personality. And what what I was thinking about 
in terms of personalities is Kevin Garnett. And I don't know this that you have have right. unique, you know, exposure to. And I wanted right. to ask you is you covered Carl or you covered Kevin Garnett when he was 19 years old from the beginning, right? How what was Kevin Garnett's personality like as a 19 year old? And how did it compare and contrast Anthony Edwards? Well, it was a it was um, if you recall, he was one of the first. So he was like a high school to pros guy. Mm -hmm. Moses Malone and a couple of others had done that. But nobody had really it wasn't a common practice. Right. So it was regarded as a little bit of a freak show. A little bit of, hey, you know, what can happen here? And the Wolves went out of their way. They they basically got Sam Mitchell and Terry Porter and put them on either side of KG in the locker room. You know, Sam Mitchell became like his guardian angel that entire season. They had a kind of an abrasive head coach in Bill Blair they last Blair lasted like 15 games before Flip and Kevin McHale said, this coach is going to wreck this guy. He's gone. You know, Blair was already um, had a, a war going on with J.R. Ryder. He just wasn't a guy who was going to deal with like guys who are, you know, high profile, um, outspoken or large personality guys. Garnett wasn't as large a personality then, but he also was somebody who always could play defense, always had a remarkable set of appendages. I mean, uh, Flip used to call me Inspector Gadget Arms. I mean, that was always there. Garnett could always get a steal or block a shot where you just, you'd be shocked. In fact, a lot like you're shocked when Edwards can bounce off three people and hang in the air and still put the ball in the basket. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, he has shocking skill set. But back then, it was more of a question of, can this archetype be, can this work? That made Garnett a focus more in terms of what he represented than who he was. You know, I mean, can a guy who steps right out of high school become a pro and be a good pro. Well, Garnett was, you know, starting by the end of the season and um, was on his way. He was an all-star, I think, his third year. Um, so that was proven. Edwards, I think, is a little different in that 19-year-olds, um, they're not a dime a dozen, but there's a lot of them in the league, you know. And so, you know, who started at 19. And they have different trajectories. And on this franchise, um, when Garnett came, it was like the sixth year, fourth year of the franchise. So things were still very, very new, and no one was saying, well, you know, that's the Timberwolves, you know. Right. In fact, first two years, Musselman got fired because he was winning too much. Musselman was fired because he was playing the vets, barely bringing the kids off the bench and trying to win every game. And they finally had to get rid of him because they were hurting their draft picks. <laughs> And, and, you know, so it was a different dynamic. And the team was already successful. They, they, they sold 3 million tickets at the Dome their first year. So the whole vibe of the team was, was a different deal. Um, but in terms of the charisma, 
there was there was still charisma with KG, and there was still guys. Um, Sam Mitchell was saying this guy is going to be really good, and you know, and Terry Porter was saying it. They, everybody had the, you know, had his back the way Rubio has his back, the way Cat now has his back. So there are some similarities. I I think. And, and I don't know, I, I go into this a little bit, you know, maybe too much sometimes, but I think there's there's this subplot to the story that is the Minnesota Timberwolves that is their historic futility, their, Without a doubt. their lack of engagement in their fan base. And, I mean, presently, the kind of collision of those things, you know, coming to a head in the owner that has owned them through that entire time is now setting up to sell the, the team. If he can. If he can. And I, I, I think about it all the time. And, right. and, and I ask myself a lot, is there something that can save the team right. outside of, you know, just getting lucky and finding a way to sell it to somebody who's like the new Jazz's owner who's just a fanboy of the team and wants to do it? Right. Is there something that can save the team the organization. And and honestly, like, I remember, you know, pandemic digging into a lot of this stuff before, and really the conclusion I kind of came to was no. Like, <laughs> it, it's... See, and, and I'm, I'm kind of... a being, great punchline. <laughs> I mean, digging into it, it was like, basically, I think that, like, the Timberwolves need to stay in Taylor's ownership or the Taylor name, whatever, you know, passing it down to right, right, a family right. member or something to. Well, once it goes from Glenn Taylor's, you know, cold, clammy hands, uh, it's significantly in doubt because one of the reasons he wants to sell is nobody in the family wants anything to do with it. <laughs> sure. So, so once it goes to them, unless he's had some kind of codicil in his will that says, if you sell the team, you're out a couple of, you know, hundred million dollars in other areas of my right. fortune, then it, that team is going to be sold when he dies. So, so that's what, you know, what, what leads me to, you know, you, you play the, what I think is the more likely scenario that it is, you know, sold to, to somebody who has trappings on, you know, eventually wanting to move it for money reasons. And part of that process of the moving it is convincing the league of incompetence. That is, and that's a gray area, but it's part of it. You, you yes. need to, you do need to be able to do that, to, to move yes. the team if you, if you buy it. And there is, that would not be hard to do right now. It, right. It, because the team has been so bad, of course. But, well, I mean, if they don't get the pick, if they finish with the worst record in the NBA and lose their draft pick at the same time, that's Ted Stepien territory. I mean, there's a stepping rule for that kind of incompetence. Exactly. So, so you need a savior. You, you, you do. And I know that sounds so fucking cliche, but I was watching this video that Tommy Kramer, the old Vikings quarterback, sure. posted with Randy Moss the other day. Oh, my God. Yeah. Really? I can't, can't believe those two guys ever got together. I know. I, I saw it. That's why I, I posted it on Twitter because I was thinking. And and I started thinking about, because I was doing this whole running through. I'm like, I'm going to ask Britt about the KG thing and whatever. And I can't exactly get it to line up in my head. But I'm watching this Randy Moss thing and I go, that reminds me of Ant. Randy Moss reminds me of Ant. Yes. And, and you know, I mean, I'm I'm not old enough to remember how 
you know, futile the Vikings were in the early 90s or stuff. But I know well enough to know it was they're in a bad spot until they drafted Randy Moss and, you know, turned the team around with Randall Cunningham and Dante Culpepper. Right. And Randy Moss is the through line of all that right. that made right. the Minnesota Vikings. I don't think relevant. he was a savior, though. I think I, I know where you're going. I think that I do have to stop you by saying that this is a football town and there will always be football here. And, you know, no, I, do I, I don't agree. mean from a move. He reinvigorated, okay. though. And, and I think part of the he, I think part of the problem is here is that this team, the Timberwolves need reinvigoration. Without a doubt. I, I'm not saying the Vikings were going to get moved or anything. Right, but, right, right. But there was something about that with Randy Moss that very happened. And I remember that's my childhood. Like that's right in my strike zone of, right, of right. all of those things. I was sure. Uh, Mike Tice was my baseball coach that year, 1998. <laughs> and I remember I was at training, just me and my baseball team was at training camp. And it's like, right. you know, Randy Moss and it's all those sort of things. And I mean, right. To some extent, it's like, that's relevant here. Like, yes, the, yes, it is. The Timberwolves fan base exists of people who hang on to shreds of the Kevin Garnett era. Mm-hmm. And those Certainly. those are as just a product of time. I mean we're talking we're coming up on 20 years since that 04 playoff run. That's right. You're running out of those shreds. Yes. And and I just think I don't know, whatever. You talk about the say, you talk about whatever. You need something else to grab onto and to reinvigorate. And I don't know if that's going to be Anthony Edwards. I have, I have questions about it as a basketball player. But as yes. a person, there's something, there's something about that, that that can make a difference. I really think so. Yes. And that is, I mean, you, you just gave a, a much better frame for what I was writing about that comes in this column on Monday. Um, but it is the idea that joy and charisma are, are, are values. Like people always talk about hustle being a skill. Well, if you have the ability to uplift your teammates and your fan base, and you're in a position like the Wolves, I mean, they I don't know if uh, I Savior, you said it perfectly. It is a cliche and it also is very apropos here. So, um, because this is, by the way, the least successful major team sport of all. <laughs> now that Tom Brady has won enough games for Tampa. So, and the latest front office savior has got some mud on his shoes right now. Um, And he has to find something to extend his job, to extend Taylor's ownership, to extend a fan base that is on its last nerve for the fifth time. Um, And I really do think it would not surprise me if people tune into games for the next three weeks to watch in. Hundred percent. I mean, I, I there, there's the type of fan that's like you or I who are you know living and breathing it and are following all this stuff and we're looking at the yeah. offensive rating, pre all stuff, pre post stuff, odd off, all that shit. But it's like, yeah, I mean, the people you need to reinvigorate 
are the people that you just got who are already sitting on their couch. Right. That when they Who've already throwing shoes at the set because of Sinclair. Anyway, <laughs> you got to get them, you know, to, to turn it on. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, it, you know, and it's, it's beyond that. It's a, it's, it's next year, you know, when, when fans are back, you know, it's, right. it's, right. it's, it's all those sort of things. I mean, I, it's, I, we've sat at games next to each other for years. It's incredible how few people are at games. I mean, right. or like even the ones who are, it's, and I appreciate the assholes who, at the very least, are yelling something and getting up. I mean, it red is face a bunch guy. of people. <laughs> red face guy, man. I, I hope he's him. back. <laughs> I really hope he's back. Oh, he's one of my favorites. Oh. I hope Andy's <laughs> listening to this. Right? We should we should talk about red face guy. Talk about red, red face, face guy. guy. Doesn't even know who he is. <laughs> there is a guy that is at the end line, back about six rows, courtside. That basically a courtside on the you know underneath the basket, that comes to sit down with a beer, a large beer in each hand. Yep. And and I think gets up at halftime to get two more. And I don't know if he goes for thirds or not. But I do know that as the game goes on, especially if the refs are not doing well <laughs> for the Timberwolves, he gets redder and redder in the face and begins to yell and sometimes begins to stand up. And he is, he's, he's provided so much tragic comic relief for us because he is just so inebriated and into the game in a wonderful way. And the red face is just, you know, he's red face guy. I mean, there's nothing. It is. I swear to God, if I ever met the guy in person and he told me his name was Joel or something, I still would think of him as red face guy. There's no way. <laughs> Britt will just tap me on, on the arm and say, check out red face guy over there. He's wonderful. And he's right directly in our line of sight. Right That's the other there. thing I love about him. He, he it's really perfect. Is. Yeah. Yeah. But there, yeah. I mean, I, I think, and I, I mean, I just, I, I see it in engagement numbers and stuff like that on, you know, on my stuff and, there is still a big part of this fan base that, like, you know, they consume the Timberwolves like a drug where they don't uh -huh. even admit. It's a wonderful drug. They don't even admit to their family members that they are addicted to this <laughs> drug because they would go, what the hell? You need to go need to get, get off of that. <laughs> and, I mean, it's – but it's cool, man. I mean, there's – I get well, tired my, covering this team tribe. every day. I will tell you, that's what I do. That's what you do. Yeah. I mean, if they're in trouble, I mean, I love the people who say, well, you get paid to do this. How do you think I got into this? I got <laughs> into this basically barely getting paid, just wanting to do it. Same. You know, you, if you were getting, you know, nickels, it's the same way I started writing about music and writing reviews. It was only to get the records and get to the shows <laughs> or be able to immerse myself in music. It, with a salary I couldn't afford. I mean, between my music entertainment, and my sports entertainment, I live like somebody who makes a lot more money than I do. Sure. And what I get paid to do this, what I actually get paid is the least of it. Right. I mean, I don't, and you can tell the people, this is why I always push back on this. It's a little tangent, but the people who say you get paid to do this, I know basketball writers 
who are doing the job to get paid. And they're not as good as the ones who are doing it just because they love the game. 100%. It's a big fucking difference. And so when you hear, oh, you're getting paid, that that um, that misnames what I do, you right. know? I don't, I don't get paid to write about basketball. I write about basketball and I get paid as a bonus, you know? And I've taken less money just to make sure I can write about basketball on my terms. So, um, and that isn't so much, I'm not trying to claim I'm this noble guy. I'm trying to claim that people who sit down and watch the Timberwolves to an unreasonable degree do so because there's a, it's something that they cherish about the experience. And that is, that's our tribe. That is the kind of people that, um, and, and they're in every NBA city, you know, I mean, it just so happens. And, and the other thing I love about it is we don't fetishize it like the old Red Sox and Cubs fans used to do. I mean, screw that, you know, I mean, <laughs> the, the Red Sox fans are always, I grew up in Boston, so I know about this. I grew up a Cubs all fan. The, all, all the intellectuals would, you know, would say, uh, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm a Red Sox fan. Baseball and the Red Sox were like the two things. The fact that it was the thinking person's sport and that it was a bad team in this, you know, academic uh, city. It all happens to be a racist city and everything else, but we'll leave that aside for now. Um, and they would just, they polished their Red Sox fandom like a badge. And it just made me sick, quite frankly, because it was far more about... Um, an adornment on their brand that it was really, really loving the sport. Give me the people who love the sport, you know, it's anyway. No, I it. mean, yeah, we're, we're, we're on the tangent, but it is cool. I mean, it's literally for me, like I can't do this if there weren't those people, like my, my, my <laughs> shit is completely contingent upon volume and, right. and numbers right. and, and stuff right. like that. And so, I mean, if I'm being honest, like part of my reason was I've had this theory all along that, because I know I have my friends are these people. I'm, I'm born and raised in Minnesota, and so are my friends. And you know they're they're here, and I know they're still watching the games in, in, in right, silence and, right. and care about the team. I know there is that contingency contingency of people out there that's bigger than you would think. It's it's sure as shit bigger than the amount of people who are in the stadium. Right. I would I would contest that the real fan base, not you know, not to take away from the people that are paying, but right the majority of what I would cl- classify as the diehards are not going to games. Mm-hmm. There's almost this well, spite. It's harder. It's harder. Yeah. Right. Well, there's almost this, it's this <laughs> love hate relationship, right? Where they're like, they're watching it all the time, but they hate the Timberwolves. And they're like, I'm not paying $80 <laughs> to go, you know, sit at the game and, and watch it, right. but right. they're watching it at home. Right. If they have Sinclair, you know, I don't know. It, it's uh it's a super or they cool stream, thing. you know, they, they get the illegal stream. Oh, yeah, there's so much of that. The, the... Which I tried to do, man. That was a mistake. <laughs> you should you should not be technologically inept and invade, have, have all kinds of insidious bad things invade your computer because you want to watch a Timberwolves exhibition game. Uh, That's what I found out. I remember one time before, I, I think I was just doing the, the block. I don't think I was credential or anything. And, and and I think it was Zach Harper sent out a link to to it was a Wolves Heat preseason game, and and it wasn't broadcast anywhere. But somehow Zach Harper got 
access to a video of the Jumbotron. <laughs> the Jumbotron playing. And I watched a whole Timberwolves game that was just the Jumbotron for, for that. And there's, man, there's, I'm not alone. You know, I'm not alone in that. And right. it's, it is, it's a, it's, it's a cool One thing. One of my favorite things about Zach Harper is he is like this. He is, he is somebody who is a fan of basketball. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know Zach. Well, I mean, he's kind of he's well, before my I time. I know. I know. But. He definitely is somebody who um, who loves the game and is into the game. He grew up a Sacramento Kings guy, so, so there you go. He's he's also classically conditioned. <laughs> no, I mean, I I think I think it would be um, I think it'd be awesome for this fan base and deserving if if Anthony Edwards, you know, became a savior became a savior it's i was uh that would be cool i was uh last night i I watched the i wanted to watch the the mavs game Uh um they're playing the blazers because and they like i'm pre-pumping the brakes on before i even say this but trying to look for similarities and differences between anthony edwards and luka Doncic, and i was trying to go Uh through the lens of all right when ant is ant like 100 percent ant you know how does that compare to Luca? Because I think in in many ways that is the archetype that he is moving towards. Because he is yes, it's the rim attacks and it's right. those sort of things. But right. you know, Finch can say two thirds, one third as much as you want. Ant's going to always take half of his shots from the perimeter. That's just right. that's just going to happen. And Luca Luca makes that mistake too. Exactly, hundred percent, hundred percent. But but so so I'm I mean, they're both bruisers. The thing about Luca is it's kind of amazing for somebody who he's got. You know, in some ways, he has the the mind of a pure point guard, uh, but he's also got the body of Anthony Edwards. I mean, he is a bruiser. Um, do you remember? Do you remember last, or I guess it would have been two years ago, when the Wolves played? It was the first time the Wolves played the Mavs, and it was our first time seeing Luca live. Do you remember that? When we were in Dallas. No, 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 no. No, year before okay. that, it was at Target okay. Center. And Luca right. took over the. It was his rookie year. He took over right. the fourth quarter. And he had that dunk right on the basket, right in front right. of us. Do you remember right. that? Yep. And and I was thinking that it was it was to me again in in person. It was the signal that you know I'd watched a little bit of the Mavs here and there, but I was like, okay, like fourth quarter, this dude as a nineteen year old just willed right. the Mavericks a below average team at the time. To, right. to win this game. And I was thinking about that as I was watching Ant in the Portland game and the Phoenix game. And there, there are similarities in that. And I mean, Luca has since ascended to, you know, top five right. player in the, in the league territory. And funny enough, last night I'm watching and Luca legit made his first eight threes, eight, eight for eight. <laughs> and I'm like, well, fuck, this isn't even, <laughs> there goes my comparison. Right. It's, it's, it's right. it isn't working, but but I mean, like, right? Luca and the court vision. I mean, yeah. th- that's the biggest difference. I know but, people are going to pick at it, but I, I'm. No, I know. I know what you what you're saying is, if the guy is going to be a savior, we are going to make what now sound like ridiculous comparisons, and they won't sound ridiculous. Exactly. That's what I'm if, saying. If if he's going to be a savior, and and let's all you know, we we're at least I am saying we're caveat by saying it's a long shot. I mean, we're talking, you know, I think less than 30% chance that he becomes good enough to be the guy, you mm-hmm. know, the the amazing guy. So 
By the way, if we freeze all of a sudden, I just suddenly a, a message on my screen just told me my internet connection was unstable. Just so we know, <laughs> that's all right. We'll we'll we'll, we'll make it work. <laughs> um, I I do think there's a difference in we're really playing like personality doctor. Or I am right now, um, but I also remember when we were at the game in Dallas last year. That was. Yeah. He was a he was an asshole, absolute and, asshole. And, he, and, and, and at the beginning of a long string of asshole performances, I've seen out of Luca. I mean, Luca's become uh, almost as much of an asshole as he is a great player, which is saying something because he's a really great player. It it was that was startling to me, um, yeah. because because we're we're in Dallas has the best media seats in the whole the whole thing. We're literally very sitting good, very good half, yeah, half court courtside. courtside. It was. And Luca. Shout out to, to Tim Cato, who basically gave up his seat so we could sit there. <laughs> true, true. The athletic Dallas guy. Yes. So. Um, and, and oh my, I remember like, actually, I remember after the game, I, I was like, this is so off putting. And, and I remember John Krasinski, he texted me after the game about, he like sent me one of my tweets where I was just like calling Luca, like whatever. <laughs> you know, I don't even remember exactly what it said. But he was like, dude, you can't tweet this. <laughs> and I'm like, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I got caught up in the moment. <laughs> the kid just seemed like, a, you know, I was, uh, uh, it was funny, you know. But um, it, it, it is, it's this another sort of, I do think that like, again, like but you that said. That is the beauty. You can tweet it. <laughs> you, you know, right, true. Um, but, uh, you, you know, it's, it, that is a, this huge difference between Ant and Luca too. Because right. they are wired so differently. Right. And, and what, I, what I worry about, I worry about that getting damaged. You, you wrote know, the about reason that. I, and I don't know, I, I don't know if, um, this may not make the edit. You know, what I sent you is what I sent my editor. And I think if anything is going to get lost in this uh, edit process, it'll be my Kevin Durant reference. Mm -hmm. Because it seems kind of left fieldish. But that, what I tried to do there, and you know, the piece is already almost four thousand words, so I couldn't really expand my Kevin Durant tangent in that piece. <laughs> right. But essentially, do you remember what Kevin Durant was like his first, you know, few years in the league? How he loved his mom and hugged her at courtside. It was just this generally. I mean, Russell Westbrook was the fearsome, you know, ugly dude who you know would run over your mother or whatever. Kevin Durant was the guy who would. Uh, you know, was he was Mr. boyish. Nice. Boyish is the right word. Terrific and, chapter. And, There's a terrific chapter on this in, uh, God, why am I forgetting the name of that book? Ethan Strauss's book, right. No, oh, not even that. I'm thinking of the, oh. the Oklahoma City book, Boomtown. Oh, yeah, Boomtown. Terrific right. chapter where yeah, the guy yeah. lays out the, the evolution of Katie's right. personality right. from from his from his childhood on to, I think, and it's with his, his like dad beating him in one-on-one -on -one in the driveway. Right. And then uh, that book was great. But anyways, continue. And then Ethan, Ethan's book about the Warriors yeah. paints him as a, a malcontent, you know, and as a real problem. And he does have a lot of bitterness. Mm -hmm. And so that to me was the cautionary tale, which is why I threw it in. It may not have made the piece, but um, is you don't want Ant to get embittered by whatever happens. I mean, it would be it would be a, a shame, you know. Fortunately, we, we, you know, we have had this season of, you know, the, the ant joy has been, uh, has been something to cherish. And the fact that he's now playing better 
means that that Aunt Joy becomes more permissible. It's not, you know, he doesn't seem as deluded as mm -hmm. he as he might have earlier. You know, it isn't a pinch me thing. I tried to get I tried to milk that a little bit for the purpose of the column by asking Rubio about the fact that he was so joyous. Great um, answer. He, <laughs> he said it was a first love, you know, it's like your first love, something you always remember. So it is it is interesting, right? Like no matter what happens, he's 19 right now. And, right. and as all 19 year old humans do, they are different people when they're 24. Exactly. And it's uh, when you're in the public eye, as Kevin Durant was, as Anthony Edwards will be, as Ricky Rubio was, you know, shit happens. Online, it's a it's a ugly territory, man. You know, and yeah, it will it will become in ways like the way Anthony Edwards evolves as a person will impact the way Anthony evolves as a basketball player, which right. we can exactly. we can he preys on him. That, he and needs that, that is that has to be a factor in his development, which is why things get, which is why you you. When you begin to say, all right, I've got a certain amount of capital, you know, it's kind of like um, people who, who I, I don't do this. My fantasy baseball team is just picked. There's no money involved. But when you put together a fantasy team, there are some leagues where you put down a certain amount of money. Mm -hmm. Well, in basketball, you put it, it. There's a salary cap, but there's also. Who are you going to, quote unquote, coddle? And who are you going to put in a situation that isn't the best situation, but it's the one they have to, to fit in for your thing to work? Um, when is the organization going to be, quote, unquote, good to you? And when is the organization going to be, quote, unquote, not so good to you? Right. And it's in that context that I think it's very important that the Timberwolves are good to Anthony Edwards because you don't want to screw up one of his most precious skills, which is his joy. How does that, See? how do you think that ties into Ricky Rubio this week? I think he, if he's traded, I think it's a, it's a ding. It's a, it's a sledgehammer on the side of the boat. You know, I think, I think that uh, you begin to go, Oh, you know, all right. They think that Ant can, can do fine with this. And Ant will, you know, he will soldier on, but I don't think it would help Ant. There's an element to this front office that is ruthless in the pursuit of, like, mathematical logic, right? Yep. Growth in, in stacking. And, right. um, and this is a really, this will be, whether it's Ruby or at the trade deadline or this summer, there will become an an element of this where they need to weigh the human factor against the stacking. Exactly. And, and right now you, I mean, you can make, we, we kind of did at the beginning, right? You can make the argument that it's like, it would make sense to move on from Rubio right now in ways. Right. Yes. And then on the other side, you know, that's less ruthless. It doesn't. And, but let's not forget that one of the better arguments for getting D'Lo wasn't numbers. It wasn't a stacking argument. It was, all right, he and Cat 
are buddies. It's a synergistic thing. Cat has been mistreated by this organization. Mm -hmm. um, we will treat Cat right. Um, and so they have That's demonstrated true. that, but it hasn't worked out for just really, really bad luck reasons. And, you know, it remains to be seen. But I think it's ironic now that if you continue on that path, You've used your some of your emotional capital, your your fantasy emotional gold on that pairing. And all of a sudden, here's another guy who's going to require an emotional investment to make him happy. And it's going to involve Cat being okay as he eventually became okay with Ryan leaving and Finch coming. If if Cat watches Ryan and D'Lo go under the bus in the same season and is okay with it after all his grief with COVID, it's going to, he's going to be a different human being. It's, there's just an element to this that there's like multiple rocks in hard places. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the answer is. And, and quite frankly, I think probably the correct answer requires a lot more information than you or I have. And not only that, but, it's, I don't want to make that decision. You heard what I said. It was, yeah. these guys know <laughs> what the value is of these guys. I would go for the best value. That's mm -hmm. my way of ducking the whole issue. Mm -hmm. I think if you put a gun to my head, I would say the upside, the savior potential of Ant, it's, it's a home run play. It is not a doubles play. But I would, I would bet on Ant only because of the stakes involved. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily, I actually think the Wolves have a better chance of being, a better chance of being good, of being a bottom tier playoff team with D'Lo than they do with Ant. But I, I think if the Wolves have a better chance of being a team that goes beyond the first round and perhaps becomes this sustainable winner that Rosas likes to talk about with Ant because he can be transformational, but he could also be what at the end of the day amounts to a very enjoyable bust. <laughs> it's true. I, I think it's why, it, it's why I go back to the Malik thing. If you, if you got to make a move, if you got, if, uh -huh. if you, if you look at your sheet, you look at your X's and O's and you deem something needs to change it's the most, it makes the most sense for me to change. And I'm not, I'm not dis discrediting it, what you're it, saying. It, but it doesn't, it doesn't address the Rubio Dilo dynamic, yep. which is our fundamental disagreement. You, you are, I admire your persistence on this. You really do think that pairing can work. And I do not. I think it just, I think it's, I think it's a lot about Dilo. And, 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 and thinking, I guess, no, I think I'll change that. I think it's about both of them. I, I think there is a glass half full that is, is somewhat reasonable to say that part of the reason Rubio sucked at the beginning of the year was conditioned, was conditioned and, and, pro and maybe the far more prevailing factor in that. I also like, I spent a lot of time thinking about D'Lo, digging into D'Lo before the season and you came, were high on him, and and, and I, I I came to that, and yeah, and 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 part of me can't change that 
based on what I've seen this year because it you is. You don't have enough evidence, right? I agree. I understand totally where you're coming from. Uh, you're higher on him than I am, but I understand the argument for D'Lo. I understand the argument for D'Lo. It is, unfortunately, I would like to see. I would like to see better pace. If I could see pace, I think that's my biggest right now. My biggest problem, mm-hmm. acknowledging the fact that yeah, D'Lo plays bad defense, but so do all the people we're talking about. <laughs> so, so we can't really hold that against D'Lo. Yeah. It is the idea that if he could get this team into their half court as quickly as Rubio does, then I don't care if he dribbles for a while. Um, once they're there and they're able to to mess around, you know, that's another thing. Um, that's what Chris Finch calls is, fake pace, too. Like The ball is moving mm-hmm. so much better now. He goes, and I don't care if, if the shot's taken late in the shot clock. As long it's as the, the Quinn Snyder approach. Yeah. That's what Quinn Snyder's all about. Utah always has a, a very, very low pace. It's kind of like what Monty Williams has done in Phoenix. Yeah. You look at the pace and the pace looks low, but you watch the team, the ball's moving. It's just not taking the shot yet. It's a different stat. Pace is tracking yeah. possessions. Pace is a really bad stat. Yeah. Because if, if you throw the ball away, when the Timberwolves had one of their worst seasons, there's, you know, the Levine point to tank for town season. They had the worst, they had the highest pace in the league by a big margin. Well, mm-hmm. part of that was because they couldn't hold on to the ball. Yeah. They'd turn the ball over in like two seconds. Well, boom, that's a two second possession. Right. I mean, you, you, you'll raise your pace quite a bit if you, you know, and the same thing with Tibbs teams, theoretically slow pace. Well, that's because you'd get six offensive rebounds. You keep <laughs> that, you keep that possession for a long time. Right. You know? Right. No, I, I'm just – there's part of me that could see that D'Lo working in, in that – in what we're describing of Finch. Right, right. Is, is the proactivity within the offense. And I know people who have – the majority of D'Lo they've watched have been this year D'Lo on the Wolves. You're right to say, what the hell are you talking about, Dane? We wa- I watched 22 games of D'Lo. He didn't do that right. at all. Right. And, and what I'm arguing, and I, not, I can't prove it or anything, is, is that the surrounding factors – surrounding players had – factored in in a, in a major way as has the absence of cat which theoretically True. is what the it was the, the first the first principle of the blueprint was these two guys are going to do what they do and if if they punt that for the sake of edwards mm-hmm. it's the irony there is enormous and the and and the the, the stakes are enormous i enormous. mean given, given how how terrible this the wolves team has been it really, we we have a lot of dramatic things to watch we in do. the next couple of weeks, you know? I uh, I kind of like how we didn't really spoil your column at all in this in this conversation. I'm glad you thought so. I, I, I never know, you know what I mean? I, it's on my mind because I just spent 48 hours, you know, pouring over it. And right. so, uh, but I always feel like, you know, um, talking and writing are two different people for me. You know, I mean, 100%. so it, you know, what gets said and what gets written, I think is, is a different style. So I think the Anthony Edwards, Jade McDaniels thing might be an example of that. I don't think you would have written that. I'm serious. Oh yeah. I, I wouldn't have. No, no, there's no way. You know why? Because think about what I just said about, you know, Wiggs and Kyrie, Kevin mm-hmm. Durant. And then they're saying, I know what I'm bad at. What <laughs> I am bad at is, evaluating young players in terms of telescoping what they're going to become. 
I have never been good at that. And so if I, you know, if you ask me a question, I'm going to answer it to right. the best of my ability. But if I'm going to put it under my byline, yeah, you know, I don't think I would have written that. You're right. right. So, so uh, as we head out here, give, give people a pitch on, um, on why to read this. Well, I think everybody knows I'm somewhat of a Edward skeptic. I mean, I trust the numbers. The numbers are bad. Um, he is, uh, according to Synergy, in the bottom quarter of efficient NBA players, which is absolutely remarkable if you look at all the wonderful things we've seen sure. from him this season, which means there's a lot of less catchy, terrible stuff that's happened, which doesn't even address his defense. I was going to say. <laughs> so there's that. There is a lot of reasons to think Anthony Edwards is the number one overall pick. What were you thinking? The column um, talks, comes to the conclusion that something that has nothing to do with analytics and has only something to do with basketball is why Anthony Edwards is a fascinating guy to bet on. Uh, the the piece I, the, the the title I put on it was the power of joy. Um, I don't know if that's the one that'll stick, um, but I I am enamored of the power of joy in that guy. He has convinced me that um, I will root for him, um, whether he's here or not. He is guileless he's not trying to be a bullshit artist with anybody i don't think he he is adorning his work ethic a little bit more than perhaps i mean that's the only red flag i see but his his appreciation of his older peers now is genuine his appreciation of his teammates who could do good things for him is genuine his use of language his um um Ebonics mixed with Southern ways of talking mixed with uh, his youth and, and the way people 50 years younger than me talk all present a, a rhythm and a perspective that is seductive to me in terms of it being a genuine emotional uh, form of communication. He registers with me in terms of who he is as a human being. And that counts. I mean, uh, that counts for me as I'm seeing another ter terrible Timberwolves team, you know, seep into the mire. Um, uh, he's been the best thing about this team this season, despite the fact that he's arguably been, you know, the third or fourth best player on the team. It was a really good column, Britt, because it was a it was a different way of looking at it and um, and relevant. Like, I don't think you had to like scrape together that narrative i think it's all true and it's the most quotes i think i've ever seen you put in a story before. <laughs> he's a quote machine he is man. A, he is a, he is i a left some machine. out <laughs> i know um so so go check out brit's piece um at the athletic uh brit and i i assuming next time we talk will be after uh the trade deadline has happened and right i would have well one way or the other our questions 
surrounding this roster will be answered in whether that be... And, a, and let's say do nothing. Well, that's what I was going to say. That even of itself, it, it, they could be answered in action or in yeah. inaction, right? That's right. That's and, right. And that, Except that they still have the, the dilemma. Then they, what they're doing is they're not, they're not getting off the dilemma. They're confronting the dilemma, which is, you're right. That's an answer, but it's an answer. I'm not ruling that out. You, oh, I'm not either, but I think it's, um, in fact, let's face it. It's not, it takes two to trade and, um, you know, it, it, and everything is a chain collision. You know, I mean, the beautiful thing. Did I think I was going to write the piece I wrote about Anthony Edwards <laughs> when I said that I'd rather have Jade McDaniels in five years? No. Right. I mean, things change in a heartbeat. Dilo all of a sudden, hey, he's been keeping it under wraps, but he's back on Friday and he gets 31 or, you know, a dozen assists. Right. And Cat is, you know, he and Cat are buddies again in terms of, you know, all of a sudden the whole dynamic changes. And Anthony Edwards, we're not shitting on Anthony Edwards by putting him on the bench because he's only 19 years old. And that's the way he's just going to have to accept that this is the way it goes. And Ant's a good guy. He'll figure it out anyway. I mean, that's a plausible dynamic that can happen. Uh, that's another one of the reasons why, you know, we keep watching and writing and talking about this team. It's because you never know. You never know. Watch O'Hernan Gomez. You know? It's, it's as interesting as it gets for a 10 and 32 team. I'll say that without a doubt. Um, that's Britt at Britt Robson on Twitter. Uh, follow him, read his column there. I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA. I will be back to talk to you plenty this week. I'm sure with the, with the four games and something that does or doesn't happen at the deadline until then I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop. Yeah. Green it all so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah.